Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 12. We've been out of John for a couple of weeks now, but we're back in John 12. This morning we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8, and before we read that together, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but that you have spoken uh, in your word and through your word to show us your son, Jesus, the living word. We pray that you would help us now to see Jesus in all of his glory uh, and help us to learn uh, to worship him and him alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 12, beginning with verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who reclined with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it He used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. It's a funny phrase, lavish devotion. Once I uh, excluded sermons and Christian devotionals from my Google search for that phrase, not much turned up, uh, except for a floral bouquet. Uh, So if you're ever wondering what lavish devotion is, it's 28 red roses with greenery in a tapered vase, and it cost about $200. (laughs) Lavish means extravagant, overflowing. Devotion means love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for something. Uh, It's not a biblical phrase, lavish devotion. I just don't know how else to capture what we find in our text, except under the phrase lavish devotion. Uh, One uh, theologian, Herman Ritterboss, says this story is not primarily about the psychology of Mary and Judas. Rather, it is about this moment in redemptive history when the contrast between those who love Jesus and those who love self is brought to the fore. Up to this point, people, at least some people, have been ambiguous about Jesus. Even Judas had been for him to a degree, but how far would he really go? How far should he go? How far should any of us go? Of course, that that moment in redemptive history has not disappeared. We still have to make that choice, don't we? The options presented to us by Mary and Judas are clear. Will I love myself 
like Judas? Or will I love Jesus like Mary? Who has the lavish devotion of my heart? There's no middle ground. Uh, Some of you have heard me talk quite a bit about a a transcendent third. Uh, There are all kinds of false dichotomies presented to us by the world, and more often than not, the gospel is is neither A nor B, but a third way. But there is never, and that is never, a third way between Christ and the world. In that case, there are only ever two options, devotion to Christ or devotion to self. That's the choice that Mary and Judas present to us this morning. And Jesus defends, and and in Matthew and Mark, actually commends the way of Mary. And so we're going to talk about lavish devotion this morning, the object of lavish devotion, the act of lavish devotion, the challenges of lavish devotion, the practice of lavish devotion, and the motive for lavish devotion. That's a lot of points, I realize, but uh, it's, it's, it's six. That's double the number. Is it six? One, two, three, four. It's only five. All right. So it's only five. It's nothing. Uh, first, the object, the object of lavish devotion. What has your attention? Uh, what has your love, your loyalty, your enthusiasm? What are you devoted to? Uh, what cause, what belief, what practice, what way of life, what job, what sports team, what musician, what movie franchise, what video game? What is the object of your lavish devotion? What would you not think twice about spending your money on or giving your time to? What is the object of your lavish devotion? Well, six days before the Passover, Jesus came back to Bethany, and he had been here many times before. His good friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived here, Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they throw a dinner party for Jesus. Maybe it's a kind of celebratory meal celebrating the act of Jesus raising Lazarus. We're told that Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table with him because Lazarus is really the, the sign, right? The evidence, the proof of who Jesus is. And Martha is serving, Lazarus is there, and Mary comes in and anoints the feet of Jesus. Now we'll come to the anointing itself in a moment, but while it's, uh, it's obvious, it needs to be pointed out, right, that Mary does not anoint the feet of Lazarus, her brother. Uh, she does not anoint the feet of Martha, her sister. She does not the, anoint the feet of the rest of the 12 disciples who are surely there, though at this point unnamed. Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. And we'll come to her motive for doing this in a bit, but everything depends upon this, doesn't it? Uh, that Jesus is the object of her lavish devotion. Jesus, the one who in this story so far, as we have read through the Gospel of John, has been proclaimed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who is the Son of the Father, the one who always does the Father's will, the one who has made himself out to be God and so has a result, has gotten on the bad side of the religious leaders. Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, the good shepherd. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the object of Mary's lavish devotion. Mary is worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Now, either this is blasphemous, unseemly, inappropriate, and wasteful, or there is something special about this Jesus. 
If Jesus is just another man, just another religious leader, just another guru, Mary is way out of line. But if Jesus is who he keeps saying he is, if he is who he claims to be, then Mary's devotion should be our devotion. What is the object of your lavish devotion? First, the object of Mary's lavish devotion, at least, is Jesus. Second, the act of lavish devotion. How how do you love someone? What does it look like to be committed? Uh, What what does it mean to be all in? Uh, What does it look like to not hold back? Sometimes people talk about someone being a, a a bit too religious, right? And they'll often add, if you know what I mean. We think religious fanaticism, eh, that's going overboard. Now, a sports fan or a movie fan or a music fan, that's fine, but we don't abbreviate for religion. If you're really into baseball, you're a fan. If you're really into Jesus, you're a fanatic. The double standard tells us something, I think. Is it possible to be too Christian, to go too far in following Jesus? Look at Mary's lavish devotion. If anybody went too far, she did. She takes a pound of expensive ointment, a pound. And not just any ointment, but expensive stuff, right? Not, not the mixed stuff either. This isn't the stuff where when you read the ingredients, you can't pronounce half the words, right? She, may, she takes a pound of pure nard. Nard is a plant from which perfume was made. This hasn't been cut She takes this pound of perfume and she pours it out on Jesus so that the whole house was filled with its fragrance. What do we learn about lavish devotion here? First, lavish devotion is costly. Mary takes a pound of expensive ointment and pours it over the feet of Jesus. Uh, Judas tells us it could have been sold for 300 denarii. Now, a denarii is a day's wage for the common worker. So that uh, 300 denarii is a year's worth of wages for a day laborer. So we're talking the equivalent of thousands of dollars here. Perhaps this was her whole savings, her inheritance, her, her life, financially speaking. Mary's lavish devotion is costly. And of course, we, we all sacrifice, don't we? we? For the things that we love, people sacrifice all the time. Soldiers give their lives for their country, mothers give for their children, employees give for their bosses, we give time to our hobbies, money to our favorite causes. Much of this is good, God honoring devotion to good things that God has put in his world. We give of ourselves to all kinds of things. The question is, what is the object of our lavish devotion? What do you pour out your time and money on? What does your devotion to Jesus look like? How do, you, how do you lavish your love on him? Is your devotion to Jesus costly? And King David once had to make a sacrifice to the Lord in a hurry, and someone offered to give him what he needed, the wood, the animal, the place. But David says in 1 Chronicles 21, 24, no, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Offering something to someone, to, to anyone that costs you nothing, but kind of means nothing. Uh, that, that doesn't mean gifts have to be expensive, but when we say it's the thought that counts, what we mean by that is you spent your time, your energy, your effort thinking about this gift. It, it costs you something. It shows that you value me in some way. You thought of me, that's something. But if it costs you nothing, 
it means nothing. How is your devotion to Jesus costly? Again, I'm not just talking finances here, though surely we should give financially. That's good. That's right. But we know we can't buy off relationships. You can't give money to your spouse or your children in, in place of a meaningful relationship and say everything's good. Often the costlier thing to do is to give your time, your energy, your heart. Lavish devotion is costly, whatever that cost might look like in the moment. Second, lavish devotion is humble. Mary humbles herself by anointing not just Jesus' head, but his feet as well. All the other gospels have a story of a woman anointing Jesus, and I can't get into the whole discussion here, but there's, uh, there are differences between some of these stories, some large, some small, uh, so that many people think that there were at least two times that something like this happened. I'm not so sure, I'm not convinced they aren't all the same event with each writer highlighting different details. But almost by anybody's reckoning, uh, Matthew and Mark are telling the same story. But both Matthew and Mark say that the there unnamed woman anoints Jesus' head, not his feet. Now, it's obvious, isn't it, that this doesn't have to be a contradiction. Mary has a pound of perfume. She could anoint both his head and his feet. But John emphasizes Jesus' feet. Why would he do that? It's interesting that whenever we find Mary, she's always at Jesus' feet. She sits at Jesus' feet as a disciple in Luke 10. She falls weeping at Jesus' feet in John 11. She anoints Jesus' feet here in John 12. And if Mary of Bethany is another name for Mary Magdalene, which some believe, and I'm tempted to believe that it is, in the end of Matthew's gospel, she will fall at the resurrected Jesus' feet and worship. Now, she's not the only one there, don't misunderstand, but if anything, Mary placing herself repeatedly at the feet of Jesus shows her humility. She is anointing what is below some slaves and servants to clean the dirty feet of the ancient Near Eastern traveler. She goes low to show her utter devotion. She would do anything for this Jesus. Her devotion to Jesus abandons all pride, all dignity. She makes herself a servant. Now, uh, listen, right? Jesus is going to actually do the same thing in the next chapter of John. He will wash his disciples' feet and then call them to do the same. Mary here is really just the quintessential disciple. She is going low and serving, which is exactly what Jesus does and will do. Lavish devotion is costly and humble. A third, lavish devotion is shameless. Uh, it is perhaps not obvious, but when Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair, it might have been scandalous. Uh, some say, at least, that a woman in that time and that place should never let down her hair in public. Others say that was just for married women, but I'm not so sure the debate really makes a difference in the end. Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. I mean, maybe letting down her hair is scandalous in itself, maybe not, but either way, it's a shameless act. I mean that in the best possible way, right? The, the whole thing was a shameless act. Here she is, a woman touching a man's feet, letting down her hair, offering her life to this man. You might say, come on, Mary, have some self-respect. Get up off the floor. Stop washing that man's feet with a $1,000 bottle of perfume. What are you thinking? Mary is banking her reputation on Jesus, She's giving her all, her money, her dignity, her identity, and it is challenged. 
Judas doesn't like what's going on. Others too, if we take in Matthew and Mark, but Jesus comes to her defense, leave her alone. This makes me think of, uh, again, of King David. King David, as he dances half naked before the ark, that's a story for another time. But shameless devotion is a theme in the scriptures. I can't help but think of the book of Ruth here as well. Ruth, who uncovers and then curls up next to Boaz's feet. It's a daring move. It's, it's liable to be misunderstood. It could give her a reputation, but she does it anyway. And here Mary takes her worth, her pride, her identity, and gives it all over to Jesus. Mary gives herself, her whole self. Lavish devotion is costly, humble, and shameless. Is your devotion to Jesus shameless? Or is it respectable? Right? Are you only willing to follow Jesus as long as it looks okay to the outside world? Or for that matter, to the Christian world? Are you willing to devote your life to Jesus in ways that are affordable and dignifying? Are you willing to devote your life to Jesus, but only in ways where your current sense of self stays intact? Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying go out and do something, anything shameless for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying, much less something shameful. But at whatever point lavish devotion to Jesus starts being costly and making you look bad in the world's eyes, it is at that point that your devotion to Jesus is really tested. The object of our lavish devotion is Jesus. The act of lavish devotion is humble, shameless sacrifice for him. And third, the, the challenges to, or really the challenges of lavish devotion. You know, what, what gets in our way of humble, shameless sacrifice for Jesus? What stops us from giving our all from this lavish devotion? What, when, when, when practical, this worldly and selfish concerns outweigh our devotion to Jesus. Right? That's three different types of concerns. Practical, this worldly, and selfish concerns. You know, Judas sees what Mary does, and he is appalled. He isn't the only one, by the way. Again, just the only one that John mentions. Matthew just mentions the disciples, plural. And Mark simply says some. But in John... Uh, John calls out Judas by name in verses 4 and 5. He says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Right? Lavish devotion challenges our pragmatism. Notice there is a practical concern here, and it's not wrong. At least some of the other disciples had the same concern, according to Matthew. And what Jesus says in verse 8 is not meant to dismiss their concern. We'll get to that in a moment. The question is, when it comes down to it, who is more important? Now hold your critique for a moment. Uh, I'm just asking, who is most important in your life? Is Jesus more important than the poor? Now I know we're not supposed to ask that question. Uh, we're not supposed to ask questions like that, but, but isn't that what Mary is saying? Uh, yes, she could have sold that perfume and given it to the poor. She could have done that. But her lavish display of love and devotion was worth it. Jesus comes to her defense. He affirms her decision. Again, it, it matters who Jesus is. If he is who he claims to be, if Jesus is the son of God, then he deserves her all. And he deserves your all. Nothing is more important and la so lavish devotion, it challenges our pragmatism. And second, lavish devotion challenges our worldliness, 
I mean here to say, in some sense, the same thing, but just in another way. We're so focused on the present age, on the present world, we think the concerns of this world are preeminent. And I'm not saying they're not important, but there is a difference between what is important and what is most important. We've got to keep that clear in our minds. We've got to keep our priorities straight. Yes, caring for the poor is important. We'll come back to that. But our devotion to Jesus is ultimate. And we need to be able to see beyond the needs of this age, not ignore them, not dismiss them, but see beyond them. Man does not live by bread alone, Jesus says, meaning there is more to life than the concerns of this age. Third, lavish devotion challenges our self-love. And Judas, for all his pretense, he's not actually concerned about the poor. Uh, this is what uh, John tells us uh, in the next verse, verse 6. John says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Uh, Judas was not concerned about the poor. He was concerned about himself, his pocket, his bottom line, his account balance. And here's the thing, lavish devotion right, is, is to Jesus is not practical, it's highly impractical, it takes resources, it takes time, it takes money and manpower that could be spent elsewhere. And if your ultimate concern is the pragmatic, if it's efficiency or streamlining and getting things done, that will hinder your lavish devotion to Jesus. Lavish devotion to Jesus is not worldly, it's, it's not, ultimately, not ultimately about this present age, it's about realities that your eyes cannot see and that your ears cannot hear. It has implications for this present age, but it is about the inbreaking of the age to come and the kingdom which is here already but not yet in fullness. Lavish devotion to Jesus will challenge your love of self. You cannot be devoted to your bottom line and devoted to Jesus. One of them will win out. Lavish devotion to Jesus will threaten all other loves. And when it does, you have to decide to take the path of Mary or to take the path of Jesus. Which will it be? So the object of our lavish devotion is Jesus. The act is humble, shameless, sacrificial love. The challenges are the practical, the this-worldly, and the self. Fourth, the practice of lavish devotion. Uh, th this is where things get interesting because how does one practice this lavish devotion to Jesus today? What would that even mean? What would it look like? I mean, in verse 8, Jesus himself says, the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. We do not always have Jesus because Jesus was returning to the Father. He was headed to the cross and through the cross to his resurrection and ascension to the Father's right hand. Jesus had come into the world, but now he was going back to his Father. Mary could practice this kind of lavish devotion. Perhaps it was just for her. Again, Ritterboss points out this, this moment is less about their psychology, more about redemptive history. The divide between the light and the dark, he says, was becoming clear. The light had come into the world. People would have to decide, would they continue to love the darkness or would they come into the light? But it's exactly in this sense that we are meant to follow in the footsteps of Mary. John is writing in John 20, 31, he says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Mary believes that. And that faith overflows in this kind of lavish love. This is what faith in the Messiah looks like. This is what following Jesus looks like. She gives her all. But what about us? What does that look like for us? You do not always have me. And Jesus was right. We don't have him, not in the same way. And I actually think Jesus tells us how we might show this kind of devotion to him right here in verse 8. 
the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Mary really had three options with her perfume. She chose to anoint Jesus with it. She didn't have to do that, but it was an option, and she chose that option. She showed Jesus lavish love and devotion. She could have kept the perfume, and it would not have been wrong. Uh, She could have kept it. Nothing in Scripture would lead us to believe that it would have been wrong for her to do so unless she had an unhealthy love for it. It would not have been wrong to keep it, but she also could have sold it, as Judas says. Mary's perfume could have been sold, and the money given to the poor... Uh, you may remember Zacchaeus, uh, the, the wee little man, right? To show his repentance in Luke 19, he offers to give half of his goods to the poor. Jesus told a rich young ruler to sell all that he had and give it to the poor. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm only saying that this, this was an option for Mary. She could have done that. But let's put it more generally, right? One of the ways that we show lavish love to Jesus today is by showing lavish love to his people especially those in need. You know, the parable of the sheep and the goats has often been kind of misused and abused, but we can't shy away from it. And what it says is important. Jesus is saying in that parable that the way we treat his people, one of the least of these my brothers, is the way we treat him. Lavish devotion to Jesus is in part practiced through loving fellow believers, especially those in need. The way we treat people is the way we treat Jesus. The poor you will always have with you, Jesus says. Again, Jesus is not discouraging his disciples from caring for the poor. In fact, he's quoting Deuteronomy there. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, which says, There will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Israel was to be generous because they would always have the poor in the land. And that was how God would provide for the poor. John says elsewhere in 1 John 3, 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? To love God looks like loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. The way you uh, lavish devotion on Jesus is by lavishing love on Jesus' people, especially those who are in need. So the object of this devotion is Jesus. The act is sacrificial love. The challenge is our focus on the present age. The practice of lavish devotion is loving Jesus by loving his needy people, which brings us to, fifth, the motive for this lavish devotion. Now, I want to do do a little speculation for a minute, but it's okay because I'm telling you it's speculation, right? Um, I want to draw a few connections I'm not going to spell them all out. Uh, We don't have time for that. Some of it can't be spelled out uh, because we just don't know. But I'm going to assume for a minute that at least the stories in Matthew and Mark are telling the same story as here. If that's so, this event takes place in the house of one Simon the leper. That's the way Matthew and Mark both begin this story. They say, now when Jesus was at Bethany, that's where he is in John, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, You'll notice John doesn't say anything about whose house Jesus is in, but Matthew and Mark do. They tell us he's in Simon the leper. Okay, so then you have to ask, well, who is this Simon the leper? And some have speculated that Simon the leper was actually the father of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. That would make sense. Others have speculated he was the husband of Martha. That could make sense as too. Martha is serving either way. Uh, The short is we don't really know, but either one of those is possible. So let's assume that one of those is true for a minute. Let's say that Simon the leper is the father of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. 
when Matthew and Mark call him Simon the leper, that must mean that Simon, who was, pre- was previously a leper, because they're all having a meal in his house in this moment. Now, if Simon was previously a leper, then it most likely means that Jesus had healed this man. Right? That's why he was previously a leper and is no longer. And also remember uh, then something I said a moment ago that it's at least possible that Mary of Bethany is the same Mary who is elsewhere called Mary Magdalene, whom we will meet later in John's gospel. She just kind of shows up out of nowhere if she's not also this Mary. What do we know about Mary Magdalene? Well, we know that Jesus cast out of her seven demons, Luke 8, 2. Now think about Mary's lavish devotion to Jesus. What is her motive? Well, Jesus over the top care for Mary and her family. Mary's motive for lavish devotion to Je- is, is Jesus' care for Mary. Uh, Jesus exercised her of seven demons. Jesus healed her father of leprosy. Jesus raised her brother from the dead. No wonder she loves him so much. She loves him so much because he has loved her so much. Now, I'm not saying her love is mercenary, right? But, but simply that when we are loved, it is hard not to love in return. And well, you, may, you might think, well, okay, that's all well and good, but Jesus didn't heal my dad of leprosy or heal me of my demons or raise my brother from the dead. So what good does that do me as a motive for lavish devotion? Well, let me put it this way. Your motive for lavish devotion to Jesus is Jesus' lavish devotion to us. And the motive for lavish devotion to Jesus is his costly, lavish devotion to us. When Jesus comes to Mary's defense, he says this in verse 7. He says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, it's a bit of an odd sentence, actually. Keep what for the day of his burial? Hasn't she already poured out the perfume? Uh, Now, some think what Jesus means is she has kept this for the day of my burial, and therefore the day of my burial Uh, Jesus is saying, was at least about to be here, which is true. But however we take it, it seems clear that Jesus means here about the same thing he means in Matthew and Mark. Matthew 26, 12, right after Jesus says, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. He goes on, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Whether she understood it or not, Mary was anointing Jesus for his burial, which was coming soon. She was symbolically at least preparing him for his coming passion. Jesus was even now heading to the cross. The Passover is at hand. Jesus is going to die as the Passover lamb to take away the sin of the world. He's going to bear sin, sin which brought sickness, death, and the free reign of demonic powers into the world. He is going to conquer those things by his death and in his resurrection. And he is going to hold out life and victory to all who believe in him. This is our motive for lavish devotion, for pouring out our lives for Jesus and his people because he first poured out his life for us. Now, the flip side of that is, here is what is not our motive for lavish devotion. If I give everything to Jesus, will he love me? As one love song put it, if I give you my all, will you love me now? No, we give our all not to be loved as if Jesus' love were uncertain, We give our all because we have been and are lavishly loved in Jesus. And if you're unsure about that, just look at the cross where he gave his life for us. Do you know Jesus' lavish love? Do you see his humbling himself in the incarnation? Do you see the shame he endured when beaten, mocked, stripped, and crucified? Do you understand the cost that he paid when he bore the wrath of the Father in our place? 
He has lavished his love on us in the most costly way possible. And now he invites us into that love to know it and respond to it, to live in a reciprocal dance of lavish love with Christ and his church. At this point in John's gospel, things are coming to a head. head. The people are divided over Jesus. The religious leaders want him dead. Even his disciples are having to choose sides. Judas shows us the way of self-love. Mary shows us the way of self-sacrifice and lavish devotion to Jesus who is about to lavish his love on us in the cross. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would help us to grow in our understanding of the lavish love of Jesus for us shown in the cross, and that we would respond to that in love and delight in him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.